From the ACLU, this is At Liberty. I'm Kendall Seesmeyer, your host. Welcome back to At Liberty. We missed you so much in the month of August. We're so happy to be back with you, and we're excited to bring you some really important stories impacting students over the next few weeks. Back to school season is upon us, and here at the ACLU, we've been following the nationwide campaign to censor education, be that the censorship of important historical and social context in school curriculums, or the recent rise in book bans. All of these efforts threaten students' right to learn. As we chart this issue, our eyes are squarely on Texas. The state is banning more books than any other, eliminating libraries, and through these decisions, targeting low-income students of color. This year, some students in the Houston Independent School District, the largest district in the state of Texas, may be headed to schools with no libraries or librarians. In August, the state announced plans to convert libraries into disciplinary centers, eliminating librarian positions at 28 elementary and middle schools. Another 57 schools are being assessed for the same outcome, with the goal of, quote-unquote, addressing low academic performance in certain schools. This alarming change comes as part of a sweeping reform program led by the Houston Independent School District's new superintendent, Mike Miles, and a new state-imposed school board, both which replaced the district's formerly elected school board and superintendent in the spring. They say cut back, we say fight back. Cut back, fight back. Cut back, fight back. Turning a library into a detention room is nuts. And here's what I'd say not only to the superintendent, to the board. Would any of you put your children in a school that does not have a library? Hell no. The situation in Houston signals what's been happening and what's also to come in schools across the country. Attacks on the freedom to read are on the rise, threatening the vital jobs of librarians. Despite this, librarians are still holding out hope and taking action. Hello, my name is Becky Calzada. I'm a district library coordinator in a suburban school district northwest of Austin, Texas. I've been a library coordinator for just over 10 years and a librarian for about 20, but I am starting my 36th year as a public education uh, teacher. So I'm just thankful to be here. My name is Deborah Hall, and I started as a school librarian in 1972. Uh, Teachers were on strike, and I had to cross the picket line to get to my first job. And I have been with Houston ISD for my entire career, serving in several libraries, and eventually I became the library technology administrator for the district. Today, we'll hear from Becky and Deborah about the value of librarians and what they're doing to advocate for their profession. Then, we'll hear from the ACLU of Texas attorney, Chloe Kempf, who will help us understand how the rise in education censorship infringes on students' civil rights. You both have decades of experience as librarians, and so I can imagine how refreshing it is to be both facing threats to your profession 
but also to the entire function of uh, what a library serves in schools. Deborah, I'll start with you since you spent about 40 years as a librarian in the Houston Independent School District, which, as you know, has recently made headlines due to the changes being made to school libraries there. Can you explain to us what's happening to libraries and librarians in Houston? One of the first things we heard from the new superintendent was, all librarians do is check out books. And I need this space because I'm going to be corralling a lot of kids who are not behaving. And then once they get themselves under control, they can go back to class. That label of changing a a wonderful room of learning to a detention center. And that's what it's been called, a punishment center, a detention center. What's your understanding from being on the ground there? It's all about test scores. Uh, That is the target. That's why uh, supposedly Houston ISD was targeted because of low test scores in certain schools. We're a large, primarily urban school district with a very diverse population but those schools weren't performing that well on the state test. And so the district became vulnerable to takeover. And that is what happened Twelve, almost 12 weeks into a takeover by the state that removed our board and hired a superintendent who is not certified and who had a failing agenda in his last run at being a superintendent, and we're under the gun to do his bidding. Communication is limited, and a lot of things are happening behind closed doors. The uh, teachers and librarians and various personnel are not encouraged to share information, so it's not really forthcoming. In some cases, furniture is going to the warehouse, books are being boxed up, Children at those schools will not have access to the library as we knew it. These changes are taking place in a district where nearly 80% of students are economically disadvantaged, and students of color make up an overwhelming majority of the district's enrolled population, the largest groups being Black and Hispanic students, who account for 84%. But westward, just outside of Austin, Texas, we see a different side of the story. There, Becky works in a district where libraries are changing for the better, and where white students make up more than half of the enrolled population. I think just like other libraries, we've had experiences with, you know, issues with censorship and that sort of thing too. But um, in terms of changes, if we've had any changes, it's been because we're actually adding some programming to our, our campuses. You know, so I know Deborah mentioned, you know, about there being books. And of course, libraries will always have books. But uh, we recently had a bond passage passed a couple of years ago. And so that bond package allowed us to bring some 3D printers into our libraries. And it's also going to bring some iMac computers so that we can do some video production. And this will be all elementary, middle and high school campuses. So this allows us to provide that kind of equipment at no cost to the kids, but also to allow them to have access to build and create and think outside the box. But what has impacted predominantly white schools like the one where Becky works is a flurry of book bans. 
The bans are particularly targeting books written by LGBTQ plus and non-white authors, or books that discuss the experience of people from marginalized groups. With all of this, school libraries and librarians have been thrown into the political fray, and Becky and Deborah are having to learn how to contend with that. These kinds of controversies can, when librarians and libraries are targeted because of what kinds of books we might have on the shelf or what we may be teaching, it's it's scary, it's concerning, but we just need to stick together and work to change the view and to erase the negativity. and. you know, the, the contrast, like in Houston, to libraries, some libraries becoming detention centers, when before they were sanctuaries. You know, they were places where kids got support for learning, for, you know, social emotional support. It was a place where a, a student could get connected to other people, to a, a, a caring adult. It's a, it was a place where they could be listened to. And we have to counter with the reality and not the imagined evils that are lurking. Tyranny of the minority, the loudest voice, is making decisions. And there's a lot of silence that needs to be awakened and voices brought forward. Because if, if people knew what was happening they would speak out. But so many people are are not aware of it. I'm wondering, you know, as educators yourselves, you both speak so beautifully and clearly about the value that libraries, librarians give to students. And I think people would be surprised to hear about all the ways that librarians support students. What would you want to say about the, the role of, of a librarian and the role of libraries and, and all the ways that libraries support students today? Well, I'd start with saying that librarians are teachers primarily in the state of Texas. School librarians have to have a minimum of two years of teaching experience before um, they can even consider becoming a school librarian. And then once they do that, they have to go to library school to take coursework and then to also obtain a master's degree. So not only do we have a highly educated person in front of students, the role and the learning that happens in library school centers around not just literacy, but it uh, now talks about uh, the use of tech integration, digital citizenship. They're also leaders on the campus, you know, you know, trying to partner with their administration to extend the mission and the vision of the campus and the schools. And so, I mean, there's just so many things that um, they, they can do. And so I think it's just more like, you know, leveraging that person um, and not considering just the the administrative sort of the tasks because yes those things that happen you know yes we have to purchase books yes we have to process books but if you really want to maximize that person um, you'll really put them in that role of instructional leader to partner with teachers and of course to work with students because the library is the heart of the school it's the center of the school 
just even thinking about my own personal library experience growing up as a child, I am a kid of the 90s. And therefore, the first time I had a computer was in school. Learning how to type was done in school. Learning how to research both online and in encyclopedias because I was a bridge. All of these things were skills that I learned from librarians predominantly. All of this is leading me to the point of thinking, oh my goodness, why are we attacking librarians and libraries? This is absolutely bananas. Um, I want to learn a little bit more about what each of you are doing in your activism, because you both have been very active in your communities in advocating on that behalf of students, on the behalf of libraries and librarians. Deborah, you helped launch a website and Facebook page in 2013 called Students Need Libraries Houston. And most recently, you co-founded Friends of Houston Independent School District Libraries. What prompted you to create these groups and what's the work that you've been doing? First of all, we saw the need and we had strength in numbers and we need to partner up. And so we've been partnering up and We had a rally recently with uh, the NAACP and LULAC, and um, there were lots of, it was a very, for me, very feel-good rally with the chanting and more libraries. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, what were the chants, Deborah? (laughs) You know. Was it more libraries? Libraries lead, you know, just a lot of, there was just so much passion. There were legislators there and over 200 people on a Saturday morning at nine o'clock in front of the administration building. It's, it's driven by the, by the need. And the, the Facebook page is really kicking in. We have recently gone from the last few days from 600 members to 800. Rice University is getting ready to do a study on the TEA takeover. We've been contacted by them. So we're, we're forming these alliances. We are open. For business, open for partnering up, opening for getting more supporters to carry the message. And what has it been like to see the response from your efforts? It gives me hope. I think it's going to be a big fight. You know, from what I've read about the person who's our new superintendent, that it's not going to be easy. He's tenacious and You know, we were talking about technology and just the 28 schools that have closed their libraries uh, because of being taken, uh, they have been targeted as very low performing and their libraries are closed. They have little desks in there. They have lost furniture. They've lost books. It's going to be a long slog to recover and restore them. But hey, I'm not giving up. I'm so glad that we have you on the case, Deborah. It sounds like we've got the right person on the job. Stay strong. Don't give up. And Becky, I want to pivot to you. You co-founded a group in 2021 called Texas Freedom Fighters, which is also dedicating to protecting the right to read Can you tell me about how the group got started and and what some of your goals are? Back in 2021, uh, when there was, you know, just a lot of things happening on the censorship front line, I I believe at the time, 
uh, Representative Matt Krause had sent a list of 850 books that he deemed were unsuitable for schools. And there were also words shared by our governor regarding, you know, if there was an inappropriate book, report the librarian, you know, those kinds of things being shared. And my colleague and I, Carolyn Foote, we were just really just tired of hearing the negative, um, hearing the one side of what libraries were. And so I was actually um, scrolling on what then was Twitter um, on the Texas Ledge hashtag and um, saw a tweet about a book that somebody shared that they said that this book was important to them. And and I, I looked at it and sent a text, sent it to uh, my friend Carolyn Foote and said, you know, what if we shared books that we love and the impact they had on our lives as readers? And she immediately said yes. And so we got together, created some tip sheets and how-tos, and uh, secretly told librarians in our state, authors, you just said on this day, we want you to send some tweets out all day, use this hashtag, um, hashtag F-R-E-A-D-O-M, freedom. And um, lo and behold, it was like six trending topic all day on Twitter. One of the things, the goals for us is to talk about the credentials of librarians, the purpose of libraries, the processes that schools follow. We also have letters on, you know, how to write to your school board or how to write an op-ed, how to, you know, support your community. Because, you know, we know, Deborah and I, we could chat all day about libraries, but we're preaching to the choir. We want to get outside those circles and talk to, you know, groups, you know, find, seek out our allies so that we can build community with them and come together and so that we're all working smarter, not harder. With school districts being overhauled and the vocal minority coming into power, communities are left to rally together in support of a brighter future for students. ACLU of Texas attorney Chloe Kempf is part of this fight for students against the censorship that she says can be classified as a form of discrimination. My name is Chloe Kempf. I use she, her pronouns, and I am an attorney at the ACLU of Texas. My work is primarily concentrated in LGBTQ rights and free speech and pluralism, um, especially in the school context. Chloe spoke to us about what she's seeing from Houston's independent school district and the legal implications of ongoing threats to students' right to learn. Had you heard about the shutting down of school libraries or turning them into disciplinary centers? Like, how serious do you take that that threat? Unfortunately, yeah, I have. I'm based out of our Houston office, and uh, the ACLU of Texas actually filed a complaint with the Department of Justice regarding the takeover of Houston ISD, because essentially what the state did was come in and remove all of the duly elected school board members and replace them with state appointees, essentially disenfranchising predominantly Black and Brown voters in Houston and in the process, the, the new leadership is taking these really drastic actions, like turning libraries into basically detention halls. So we have been paying um, a lot of attention to what's going on. It's really stunning. And, and Texas is certainly not the only place that we're seeing this across the country, particularly as it relates to book bans. As you mentioned, the majority of books being taken off the shelves are those that reference gender and sexuality, feature LGBTQ characters. Mm-hmm. What do you think is really behind the fear around LGBTQ plus stories? In some ways, I think it's a political move. Certain politicians are just kind of seizing on the moment 
um, to, you know, gain traction in these kind of culture war issues and seem like they feel comfortable sacrificing some of our most vulnerable and marginalized students in that effort. Books like these, they open students' minds. They make them um, more understanding and empathetic of each other. And they, you know, help contribute to the next generation of democracy that may challenge the status quo that these politicians rely on to stay in power. Um, And so I think they feel quite threatened by that. If we can control the information source, then we can control the future of of voting and voters and, and perhaps electoral outcomes, if you will. Yes, you control the information, you control the people 100%. So you mentioned that the Department of Education is opening an investigation into the Granbury Independent School District. This is after the ACLU of Texas filed a civil rights complaint against the district in June of 2022. And you mentioned that Superintendent Jeremy Glenn to librarians in this leaked recording was very explicit. Um, I also wanted to read a little bit of an excerpt of what he said He said, I acknowledge that there are men that think they're women and there are women that think they're men. And again, I don't have any issues with what people want to believe, but there's no place for it in our libraries. He also went on to say that Granbury is a very, very conservative community. And if that is what you believe, you better hide it because it ain't changing in Granbury. This is someone who's making decisions on behalf of students and parents. And what really strikes me is that when we talk about this idea of a vocal minority, when we talk about access to books and libraries that impact all kids and all families in a, in a district, uh, you know, it, it always makes me think about the, the students or the families that are LGBTQ+ that might not then get to see themselves reflected in their school experience or their family reflected. What is the danger in removing these kinds of stories? And how does it marginalize students and certain families even further from their communities? Book removals, book bans like these, especially when paired when comments like that, but honestly, even standing alone, can be, you know, hugely damaging to a community um, because they send a message to LGBTQ students and families that something about your identity is so inherently shameful or worthy of censorship that we are wiping it off the face of our school libraries. Um, And that message is so damaging to students just in and of itself But also because it's the top people, the most powerful people in a school district saying these messages, um, it gives it kind of an an extra oomph, if you will. And it opens the door to increased um, peer-based harassment and bullying because students can sense that there's an anti-LGBTQ atmosphere at their school and feel emboldened um, to act on those hateful feelings. And so that's why the Department of Education, I believe, opened the investigation in the Granberry case because things like that can create a hostile environment for LGBTQ students, and that violates federal anti-discrimination law. What is happening on the ground there right now? Um, Have attempts, more attempts at censorship continued despite this investigation by the Department of Education? Yeah, most of the books were placed back, not all of them. And to my knowledge, there's never been an official apology or any 
way to reckon with what happened and to try to improve that hostile atmosphere that was created by the book removals um, and the and the comments, um, which is why I think the, the government's still investigating. Essentially, the situation is still very raw um, and discriminatory in the district. Yeah, yeah. I often think in a lot of these kind of local disputes, the people who feel more passionate are usually the people who are trying to remove something as opposed to defend something. But we can actually take kind of an offensive approach um, and be affirming of our appreciation for these kinds of books and for libraries and our schools. We talk a lot about, you know, these stories where it's just people who show up um, are passionate about trying to remove education and we can actually show up in the same way and and offer the opposite perspective. What do you hope will come out of the investigation and what are the implications if the school district is found at fault? Yeah, I mean, I just hope that the investigation will conclude as as swiftly as possible because there are students that are still really hurting at um at that district. And so I hope that the district will come to the table in good faith and say that we're willing to put in the work to rectify the hostile environment that we created. At the end of the day, we just want every student to feel seen at school, safe at school, and to be able to to see themselves reflected in the books that they can they can get in the library. Um, and I think it would be hugely significant for the government to find that there was a violation in this case because it just shows that doing these book bans not only infringes on students' First Amendment rights, that's pretty clear, but it can also constitute gender and in other cases, race-based discrimination that violates other federal law. Um, and so it, it it's just would be a really clear demonstration on, on how many civil rights are affected um, when these book removals happen. And is your hope that if that if the federal government were to find these violations, that that would then spread across the country and also provide some meaningful support to other communities who might be dealing with the same issue? Yes, we know that the Biden administration right now is is rolling out a plan to address these type of book removals under federal anti-discrimination law, not just the First Amendment. There was already one case in Georgia that came to that same conclusion. I'm hoping this Texas case will be the second. And so, yes, you're right. I I think it would be wonderful for it to set the precedent for all other school districts considering this, that what you're doing is not only, of course, damaging to your student body, but it's also illegal. Um, and if you don't want to be under federal investigation, you should probably think twice. I would love for it to be found illegal and uh, for the, us to have a real uh, meaningful uh, retort to what these communities are doing. I also want to mention what's happening at the state level. We also have HB 900, or the Restricting Explicit and Adult Designated Educational Resources Act. Wow, a mouthful. That was passed in June, and it's a law that directly impacts the process of getting books from vendors to school libraries. Can you explain what else the Reader Act does? I prefer the Book Burning Act, um, but that's my own name. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, the the law, it, it's not in effect yet. There's a lawsuit challenging certain provisions on it that's currently being heard at the moment. But the 
HB 900 essentially creates multiple categories of books that would either be completely banned or restricted in public school libraries in Texas. One of the main problems with the bill is that these categories are either completely undefined or have really vague and overbroad definitions. And we know from just past experience in all civil rights laws, when a law is vague, it is extremely dangerous. Um, it, first of all, would have a big chilling effect on librarians who are already nervous. Um, they're already under a lot of scrutiny and they won't know how to comply with such a vague law. And so we might see them kind of overcorrecting, removing books, not ordering books just in case because they don't want to be found in violation. And then the second main problem is that when a law is vague, it allows people who have discriminatory motives to target certain books that they don't disagree with and use bills like this as an excuse for what they're doing. And so I could, if this bill goes into effect, I could see it having a huge effect and impact on the books that are available to our students in Texas. The latest is that there is um, a hearing for an injunction scheduled. That lawsuit was brought by book vendors who are challenging certain aspects of the bill as, as it applies to them. I'm not clear on if the injunction would happen, if the whole bill would be affected or just part of it. But the bill not only affects book vendors, but it has real concrete implications for the First Amendment rights of students as well. It also states that if a student wants to check out a, in quotes, sexually relevant book from a library, they'll need a parent's written consent to do so. The law's primary author, Republican Texas State Representative Jared Patterson, said its aim is simple, get sexually explicit content out of schools. He also stated that the law is a, quote, model legislation for the rest of the country. Um, we often see that what starts in Texas, unfortunately, doesn't stay in Texas. What do you make of this kind of broad, vague language of sexually explicit or students needing permission to check out books that feature sexuality or sexually relevant books. Do you believe that this is the kind of rhetoric that we'll see pop up beyond the Reader Act in Texas? There's a lot to unpack with this bill. Um, it is terrifying that the author said it could be model legislation across the country, which just emphasizes what you were saying earlier, Kendall, is people need to start organizing now and going on the offensive now. But the phrasing of, you know, sexually explicit, sexually relevant. In practice, we know what that ends up meaning, that as we mentioned before, those terms are really often and inaccurately used to describe anything LGBTQ. And so, yeah, the, the implications are, are quite broad. I mean, even sex ed textbooks, books that deal with issues such as sexual assault, which of course, are very sad to read, but so many students use books like that as a lifeline to understand what happened to them and to know to seek help. And of course, there's wonderful classic works of literature that contain, um, you know, sex scenes. And so the the implications of, of the sweep of this bill are, I think, we haven't even wrapped our head around what, what it could possibly cause. Bans on books that focus on race, gender, and sexuality can't stop students from being who they are proudly. Nor will it stop passionate educators from serving their communities. 
Our guests share their thoughts on what we can do to support people in schools and everyone's right to learn. I would encourage people to move from awareness to action. So to me, moving to action would be join United Against Book Bans or Texans for the Right to Read because those organizations, when there is a an issue or concern in a specific area in your community, they will specifically send an email targeted just for those communities to activate people that are wanting to support access and intellectual freedom to you know come together. There are so many organizations that um, need funding because like you shared, librarians are being targeted and so some have lost their jobs. So things like, you know, the Merit Fund, you know, there's organizations that will give librarians money because obviously they've lost their source of income. I tell librarians all the time, if you've not been touched by any kind of issues with censorship, it's just a matter of time. And so, you know, being ready to, you know, by reviewing your policies, you know, making sure you're up to speed, educating your administrators and educating your families. I encourage people, you know, always with safety in mind, but if they feel comfortable, students and parents and community members, go to your school board meetings, speak up for books, speak up for intellectual freedom, speak up for the LGBTQ community, and, you know, drown out some of that very vocal minority that's going on. I also encourage people to run for school board. It feels daunting, but it can be done. We need parents who believe that their children should have access to a diverse range of reading materials on school boards as well. Um, And there's many other tools, especially in Texas, that students and parents can use to challenge book bans. You can read more about it at the ACLU of Texas Students' Rights Hub. And also Unite Against Book Bans has a wonderful toolkit that I often refer people to. I would like to say that librarians need to fight for their students. And if they save their students, they are also saving themselves and focus on the student's loss. And it's your job to keep those libraries open. So what are you going to do? Fight back. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to At Liberty wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review the show. We really appreciate the feedback. At Liberty is a production of the ACLU, produced by me, Kendall Seesmeyer, and Vanessa Handy. This episode was edited by Matt Boynton. Until next week, stay strong.